the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, and I am normally joined at this time by Ian Simpkins. But if you've been with us this week, you know Ian is at home, hopefully. Uh, Ian and his wife have welcomed their second child this week. And so Ian is taking some time off to uh, be with his family, to enjoy this kind of big step of life. So uh, for the second time this week, I am joined in studio by Kelly Brady. Kelly is the senior pastor uh, at Glen Ellen Bible Church in Glen Ellen, Illinois. So, Kelly, you came back for a second time. I appreciate it. Can't get enough. <laughs> so we are grateful to have Kelly. A reminder of my background, I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church, and Four Corners uh, was birthed or planted out of Glen Ellen Bible Church. So uh, Kelly has played a big role in that, helping get our church started. So uh, it is fun to be together here. A little housekeeping. If you want to follow us on Facebook, you can do so at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. You can also find us online at uh, 1160hope.com. And there you can find old shows or you can podcast us wherever uh, you get your podcast. Well, Cal, the, uh, this Harvest Bible Chapel story, it's, it's the story that continues, won't go away. Man, it continues to unfold. It won't go away. A little bit of background. Uh, and, and this has been going on now for weeks, if not months. Uh, Harvest Bible Chapel is uh, coming under a lot of scrutiny, particularly James McDonald, their lead pastor, uh, is coming under a lot of scrutiny for many different things, issues of power, issues of money. And every time we feel like this story is done, it uh, takes another turn. Uh, And so last week, you may remember, uh, there was the church in Naples, the Harvest Bible Chapel in Naples, uh, where the pastor asked for his church back. And instead of doing that, uh, he was fired. And that's where James McDonald, who's right now an indefinite sabbatical from the Chicago church, is actually preaching down there. It's just an enormous mess. It was the front page of the Daily Herald the other day. Well, open up your Daily Herald today, uh, and it's on the front page again, specifically uh, with a special article written by a uh, a well-known disc jockey or a radio host in the area by the name of uh, Man Cow. So kind of this convergence, a weird convergence. Kel, why don't you give us now what, what this article was all about? Yeah, so opened up my Twitter feed this morning and just looking at the news. That's primarily where I get my news and the little sound bites. And the, the WLS radio personality, Man Cal Mueller, has an article, front page, Daily Herald. There's a picture that leads the article with uh, Pastor James and Man Cal side by side worshiping, which... Um, Mankow goes on to describe in the article how James has been uh, instrumental in his life, in growth, in faith, and he he wants to he's doing his best to reach out to Pastor James and encourage him uh, to to own all that he can 
with uh, the chaos that's unfolding. And um, Man Cow's posted several kind of uh, vlogs, video blogs about come home, James, come back to Chicago, explain to us what's going on. The article in the Daily Herald is, I I retweeted it. It's um, I find it very humbling, yeah, and challenging because what we have here is we have a sheep mm. asking his shepherd uh, to lead and to lead well and to lead with integrity and yeah. to lead with honesty and and I you know I don't know all that's gone on. I I just it's humbling to see. I can. It's humbling to read Mancow's plea and the description that Mancow offers in the article um, about what has unfolded, what he's experienced, and and so there's all types of. Um, he talks about pressure he received to give certain amounts of money uh, to the ministry and um, and how that that really plagued him and and was hard on him. He goes so far as to describe the culture. Uh, created by by Pastor James as authoritarian, secret, intimidating, mm-hmm. outlandish, uh, poor financial controls, and debt ridden. I mean, and, and that's that's hard. You know, th- there is a strong biblical warning in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that shepherds are to care for the flock. Yep. Ezekiel thirty four is is something that comes to mind. Uh, Ezekiel, on behalf of God, condemns uh, shepherds for not caring for the flock. Uh, Ezekiel 34.4, you have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You've not bound up the injured. You've not brought back strays. You've not searched for the lost. You've ruled harshly and brutally so that they were scattered. And and there's a condemnation for for shepherds that think of only themselves. And uh, and then in the New Testament, the, the warning to shepherds who think that the gospel is a means for getting rich um, and it's it's something that all pastors and, and really this show is is built around pastoral ministry yeah. and and so I found the article humbling to hear from a sheep and um, challenging. I we all want to be leaders that um, that care yeah. and and that experience the reward of God, not the rebuke of God. Yes, uh, yesterday in that chair where you're sitting, Sky Jatani was here, uh, and Sky had a great um, kind of picture of good shepherds and bad shepherds. And basically the point being that good shepherds equip their people to go out and do ministry. Uh, bad shepherds use their people to further their institution and their ministry. And this article, like you said, is heartbreaking because it's, yeah, it's a, it's a well-known celebrity, but really what it is, like you said, is a church member saying, Hey, this doesn't feel right. And you need to come back and explain yourself. He uses McDonald's words against him. He, he says, you've always told us to act like a man. Well, let me turn your words on you and ask you to act like a man and explain what's gone on. And like you said, spinning it forward for us as pastors, it causes us to say, uh, are, well, this might seem outlandish. Is there anything in this behavior that I see in my own life towards my own people? But also for people out there, it reminds you of what you need to be looking for in a church and in a leader um, and where those dangers lie. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday, when I was with you, um, I talked about, you know, how does, how does this happen? How do, pa- how do pastors get in this type of trouble? How do churches get out over their skis yes. and, um, and in a perilous situation? And, and one of it, Mankow brings it up. He talks about the, the tremendous gifts that yeah. Pastor James has. And, and frankly, I've learned 
from God's Word under Pastor James' teaching. I, he is tremendously gifted. Yes. Um, I've partnered with him. Our church has partnered with him and Greg Laurie uh, in the Say Yes um, campaign, uh, reach, trying to reach Chicago in 2010. So uh, I have a little bit of exposure to his ministry, and he's tremendously gifted. One of the dangers, the warnings to all pastors is that our character match our gifting, that yes. our godly character match our gifting. We need to be careful that our platform, and that's really um, that our platform not be larger than our character can mm-hmm. support. That's a, that's a great point. I think we could probably leave that there because as this continues to unravel, um, characters being exposed. Mm. And I would encourage anyone out there, you can find this article. Like we said, it's... it's um, it's right there in the Daily Herald, uh, and it's just painful. Anyone who's been a part of a church, leading a church, it's just painful to read, and it should be sobering for all of us to realize that, uh, yes, the gifts matter, what we say about the gospel matters, but but our character, as best as it can, needs to match our words and what we're saying. And uh, one last point, and that is to continue to pray. Pray for the people mm-hmm. of Harvest Bible Chapel. Um, pray for their elders, who probably, you know, it seems like have made some misguided decisions along the way that they would have greater wisdom uh, and be able to make good decisions. Pray for Pastor James and Kathy, his wife, and their boys. Their boys uh, continue to preach at the Harvest Campus. And so uh, pray for all concerned. And Mankow, interestingly enough, talks about prayer uh, for the nonbelievers who are watching this. My father, for most of his life, was a nonbeliever came to Christ just at the end of his mm. life, but used to poke fun at the chaos inside the church. And it was one of the excuses, excuses, yes. not reasons, yes. one of the excuses he used uh, not to submit to Christ's authority in his life. Mm. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm joined by Kelly Brady today. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Glenn Stanton. He's the director of Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family. We're going to discuss that Gillette ad about masculinity and what is a man of God? What is a what does a, a biblical man look like? That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, and we have uh, the privilege of hearing from Glenn Stanton. Glenn Stanton is the director of Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family Uh, He debates and lectures extensively on the issues of gender, sexuality, marriage, and parenting at universities and churches around. Uh, And he also served uh, in the George W. Bush administration for many years as a consultant on increasing fatherhood involvement in the Head Start program. And before we get to Glenn, just a reminder that Focus on the Family with Jim Daly can be heard every weekday here on this station from 1130 to noon on AM 1160. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, you're very welcome, Brian. Thanks for thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Uh, what we wanted to talk to you about today, and most people have probably seen over the last week, is kind of that Gillette ad that went that went viral and it and it introduced this concept of toxic masculinity and challenged men uh, to be the best that they can be. So just wondering when you saw that ad, what, were you excited about it? Did you have problems with it? What were your thoughts on that Gillette ad that was making its way around the internet this week? Well, it's interesting. I mean, when I first saw it, a friend had sent it to me and it sounded like they were a little excited about it. So yeah. I pulled it up and, and looked at it and I thought, Oh my goodness, I'm going to have to disagree with my friend that this mm-hmm. is 
um, one of the dumbest things I've ever seen, <laughs> to say it frankly. But it's, it is interesting that there are so many different views on it, um, but I thought it was very, very problematic um, in that it was – I mean, first of all, it, it bought into sort of the, the line that you know men are a cancer and need to be solved mm-hmm. because it, it, just, it basically just showed that side of men – um, and it just used a lot of the language from what I would call the left um, on, you know, just the, the prejudice really mm. against men. And it was it was caricatured. It was over the top in some of these things, which just made it silly. And then, I mean, at the end, they're sh- well, they're showing all this bad behavior of men. And it was bad behavior, but it wasn't actual behavior. It was acted out by actors. But but then there's these two dads at a barbecue and their kids, two boys, are wrestling on the, the ground. And that was kind of shown in the same shot as, you know, men treating women like sex objects and, and men belittling women. And then two little kids, you know, wrestling on the ground. And one man says to the other, boys will be boys. And then they just show this whole long line of, of barbecue grills with men behind them, yeah. you know, mimicking and, and, and saying like robots, boys will be boys, mm-hmm. um, as if that's this bad, bad thing. And, and you know, that's really all I needed to kind of see yeah. in the ad was that. Yeah. So I have a son. I've got two daughters and a son. My son is in the fifth grade. Uh, wondering, uh, you've spent a lot of time in a lot of different capacities teaching and thinking about uh, what does a godly man look like? Uh, as I, as a father, are wanting to raise him in uh, in godliness and to be a godly man, uh, what are some tips you give to dads out there who are maybe in my situation or we even have kids younger than me? Well, and and that's very important, and especially like at the age of your son. Yeah. And and I mean, first of all, masculinity is a is a character virtue. It's not, you know, just necessarily a way of being, and it doesn't necessarily mean macho and tough and, you know, like to fight and play sports. What it means is they're strong. They step up. They're brave. I, I like to say it this way. A good man does the right thing at the right time mm. in the right way for the right reasons. You know, he steps in and he makes a difference. Um, and we can teach our little boys that. We can teach our little boys that through example. One, you know, one example that I like to use is, you know, you're at a, you're at a, like a picnic at church. Um, you as the dad, um, after everybody's eaten, get up and, and clear the plates. Mm. Um, that's, it's not woman's work what it is is you're you're changing the environment you're taking control you're showing leadership um that's what men do and you can do that in all sorts of different ways you know another way sunday school class somebody comes in there's not enough chairs for everybody teach your boys to like you're the one that stands up go in the next room get a chair bring it in Pay attention to what's going on and what are the needs of people, and then stand up strong, stand up confidently, and solve that problem. Um, and those, I mean, that's what a man does. He, he, he changes the situation. He solves the problems. He, he provides answers for people, and he does that confidently, strongly. He steps up. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, so I'm a pastor, and my co-host, Ian 
um, who is not in today. In fact, he just had a son born yesterday. So this is all good stuff. Um, Ian is also a pastor as well. uh, And we've talked about this a couple of times, him and I, about this kind of growing concept that men don't go to church, right? Like, so most of our congregations, you know, it's usually a higher percentage of women and men. Wondering if you guys have – if you see reasons for that, and more importantly, what are the answers to that? What are the answers to engaging men in the local church? Well, it's interesting. I mean, first of all, uh, you know, some historians of the early church, they've said that it's been that way since day one. Mm. Um, when Christianity was being founded, it was primarily um, women that were coming to faith. And in a sense, that just simply is women are more likely to be spiritually minded. Mm. You know, we, we have people saying, well, our, our church services are too feminized. Mm. Um, I don't see that. I, I just don't see that. There is the nature of the man who is just not as inclined to be involved in spiritual things. But for the men that are in churches, um, be the man, lead, um, draw other men in, and, and be mindful of what's happening in your church. Are there things there for the men? Um, and are they really manly things, or are they just, you know, like the men's prayer breakfast? Um, no, do something that, that men are going to be drawn to. Um, and, and, you know, men are going to be interested in thinking, okay, they understand where I'm coming from. They understand what I need. Um, and the churches can reach out. Our churches can reach out, um, to connect better with, um, the men in the community. With our last minute here, I'm wondering if you could give an encouragement. We've talked about dads, we've talked about men, but how about husbands? Uh, if you could give just kind of a word of encouragement and maybe a challenge to husbands in a minute or so, what would that be? Well, it's interesting. I mean, scripture very clearly says, you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Mm-hmm. Um, Christ served us. He he laid down his life for us. He gave himself over for us. And so that's what husbands are really called to do is to protect, to care for, um, to provide for, mm-hmm. um, to lift up, to honor um, their wives so that um, you know, wives think, I've got the best man in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, he has my back. He takes care of me. Um, and that he is an example to her friends and her hus- her friend's husbands, you know, as to, you know, what a good man is. He doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, the bossy boss, um, yeah. but he can be the guy who, and he shouldn't be, but he can be the guy who is, is in control and he leads and he protects and he directs. Well, that's good. That is good advice. We've spoken to the husbands and to the fathers and to the men out there. Uh, Glenn Stanton uh, is the director of Family Formation Studies at Focus on the Family. Glenn, uh, I really appreciate your time and your challenge to me as a husband and as a father. So thank you for spending time with us today. Hey, Brian, thank you. You're welcome. And just a reminder, uh, Focus on the Family with Jim Daly can be heard every weekday from 1130 to noon on AM 1160. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm, normally joined by Ian Simpkins, uh, but Ian has taken some time off to celebrate the birth of his second child. And so we're excited for Ian and for his wife, Katie, and uh, praying for them, praying they get some sleep. I'm, I'm expecting Ian Kelly. Kelly Brady's here with me today. Kelly, I'm expecting Ian to come back fully rested, 
I'm just sure. Ready to roll. So, uh, <laughs> He's going to be sleep deprived for years. Exactly, exactly. I'm, for the rest of us out here, it'll probably be a good thing because he'll probably say things that are off the rail. It'll be very entertaining. <laughs> He's be like, what did I just say? I don't remember. So, uh, Well, Kel, one thing I've known about you, Kelly, as I said, Kelly Brady is the senior pastor at Glen Ellen Bible Church. I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church. Um, and having worked under you and known you and been with you, I know one of your passions is, is the family mm. uh, and seeing uh, marriages do well. So we're going to talk a little bit about marriage later, but also seeing people raise their kids well, uh, specifically to know Jesus. Yeah. And um, one of the biggest things that I struggle with, your kids are a little older, right? Yep. Uh, college, high school. Um, my kids are just entering high school, and then I've got a fifth grader and a fourth grader. Something you and I certainly didn't need to deal with is this whole technology, the whole screen issue. Yeah. Uh, and with that in mind, came across a story. Let me just read some of the background, and I would love your thoughts on this. The title It's titled, Are Screens Affecting Our Children's Brains? Uh, it says, this report shows that 9- and 10-year-old children, that's what I have, I have a 10-year-old, uh, who spend more than two hours in front of a screen each day score lower on thinking and language tests. This is troubling since the average tween-ager, it's called, spends up to six hours a day on their tablet or phone. In addition, scientists have found that children with daily screen usage of more than seven hours show premature thinning of the brain cortex. This is the outermost layer that processes information from the physical world. I was about to say, I don't know what the brain cortex is, but thinning can't be good. (laughs) Any thinning of any brain. Uh, Another study related to smartphone use by children uh, linked it to sleep deprivation and other problems uh, with poor attention spans. And one of the points that this story makes is that we're at the very front end of this. Like, we actually don't know. Right. And uh, But that all of the markers are pointing towards screen ex- excess screen time with kids uh, being a big deal. And so I, I, I love your thoughts because uh, I know as a parent with kids right in this age, mm-hmm. like, I feel like we have a good handle on screens, yet they're on them a lot. <laughs> and, and just watching their friends and everything. So... Pastorally, but also as a dad, what are kind of your thoughts on on screens, on kids? Uh, what's some advice you'd give? Well, man, there's lots of advice to give. One of the uh, you, you and I, you mentioned, we're growing up in this with our kids. Yeah. So I, I became a parent about the time that all this mobile technology was just hitting the marketplace, and so I felt really like I was learning along with my children. My children today are twenty two, twenty. In 17. So it was really challenging to stay ahead of them. And I think parents are still challenged. That's to stay ahead of their kids. That's the number one thing I'd say Mm. is be honest with yourself if you're being lazy. Mm. I found often the reason I didn't tackle whatever technological issue needed to be tackled was I was exhausted as a parent. And so I just, I just encourage parents to to own it. And, yeah. and if you're, if you're exhausted, don't you cut out some other something that's dr- draining your energy. Give this technology issue your full time and attention because there's so much. I always tell my kids, um, when I, we had big debates about when to get them a smartphone right. and, and that is debatable. But I told them when I bought them a smartphone, here's the gasoline. Let me help you with the matches. Mm. And it's just this, I trying to give them an understanding of, what a big tool this is. Yeah. And, um, and there's a blessing and a burden to this tool. And so I'll never forget going in to the, the uh, phone store 
with my son. He was 14, a freshman, and didn't have a smartphone, and apparently he was the only one on earth that didn't have one, and so I finally agreed to take him in shopping for a smartphone. And when I got into the, the phone store and we asked the salesperson, I, I said, um, how do I help my son stay away from pornography on this smartphone? And the uh, the salesman looked at me like I had three arms and four legs. And, like, Sir, I just sell phones. <laughs> yeah, I just sell phones. I said, he looked at me so strange. I said, tell me, you, I'm not the first parent to ever ask you that question. He goes, I've never been asked that question. Oh, wow. And so I just, it's so much. Uh, the article that you referenced um, talks about a book titled TechWise, written by Andy Crouch. It's a really yes. good book. Uh, that gives specific strategies for parents to stay in front of their kids on this issue. Things like uh, make sure your kids are turning off the technology uh, from time to time, one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. And so vacation, uh, no, you know, no screen time. And frankly, that's when I find I'm laziest yes. and when I abdicate my parenting and I don't require family time. And so laziness is a big deal on this issue. I know for Carrie and I, my wife Carrie and I, we're at the front end of this, but we got our daughter a smartphone. We put her on our plan when she started babysitting, so we, that felt like uh, yeah. a good time to do it. Um, but I mean, our, our other two have ki- uh, have phones, just not plans, right? They can right. get on the Wi-Fi and play games and stuff. Um, but, man, it's an easy babysitter, like you said. It's an easy way because you get to the end of your day and you're tired. And I can't tell you how many times I've looked up and realized we're all sitting in the living room with our TV on. Staring and at our phones, looking at the phone, and I'm like, "What have we become?" And uh, like you said, uh, and I've co- Carrie and I have come up with a couple things. One of which is we told Madeline from day one, um, there is nothing on this phone that we can't see. Right? Like we will have every password, and she knows it. Right. My danger is like how yeah, you said we're learning. I think sometimes our kids are learning faster. Yeah, they're <laughs> so. Um, understandably, they they're much more technologically savvy, and and they're in a culture. Um, that is is driven by technology in a way that I'm not in that culture. You're more so a generation behind me. You're more in that culture. So it just takes a lot of energy for parents to stay out front. What do you think? Um, I mean, this article calls it phone addiction. It's saying there's at least you know eight to ten percent of kids are addicted to their phones, um, but parents too. What do you think this technology and this draw of the phone is just doing fundamentally to families? Well, I think you pointed out, I think it's um, it's distracting families at the very least, and it's dividing families at the very worst. Yeah. So, you know, just the distraction, sitting at the dinner table with your family and everybody staring at their phone rather than talking, um, that's perilous. It's perilous if, if you're that distracted. There's only a matter of time bef- between, before you become divided. And so I, I really think it's threatening the family in that respect. I, you know, for tweens, the bullying issues mm. – uh, there's a lot of intimidation. There's a lot of peer pressure that they receive, uh, and then it's it's not always explicit bullying. It's it's sometimes it's implicit, and a lot of kids feel like because of social media they don't measure up. And mm. there's a lot of self loathing that's fueled by social media. My kids, my kids are old enough that they are they see the value in self moderating. Oh. And they talk about it with each other. They talk about times they take sabbaticals from their phones. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they talk about how much they love it. Uh, my oldest, who's a senior in college, um, during the semester while school's in, removes all social media from his phone. He just, and he said, he'll tell you his life is much more peaceful. That's fascinating. Uh, I <clears throat> said this yesterday over sabbatical this summer. I had the ability to be on a sabbatical. 
And uh, I, I deleted my Facebook account. Or I didn't delete. I just didn't use it. Deleted it off my I phone. I thought you were dead. <laughs> All my friends were like, wait, I thought this is, uh, where are you at? And it was so wonderful, man. I loved it. And then I went back to work and I justified putting it back on. Like, right. Oh, we got to see when it's someone's birthday or see how people are doing. Or, hey, I'm going to have a radio show. I need people to know about it. And uh, I'm not sure I'm better off for it. No. Statistically, the um, we all... Statistic, research will tell us the first things people reach for yes. when their eyes open in the morning is their phone. Yep. The first thing I saw this morning was a text from you. So, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Sorry uh, about that. Nope, it's okay. Uh, I think, again, what Andy Crouch says, not just for our kids, but for us, turn off your technology one hour a day, one day a week, one whole week a year. Uh, and he, pre- he uh, his premise is that we will be better off for it as families uh, and as individuals. Well, uh, this is an issue that's not going to go away. We're only becoming more technologically uh, driven as a culture, so we've got to get our arms around it. Again, my name is Brian Fromm, joined today by Kelly Brady. This is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm, and I'm joined today by Kelly Brady. Kelly's sitting in for Ian Simpkins. Ian is out. Um, celebrating uh, the birth of their second child. So congratulations to Ian and his wife. Hopefully you guys are getting some sleep and uh, enjoying the time. Uh, love the little U2 coming back in. That's always good, too. Uh, the music bringing it back in. Uh, well, again, I'm joined today by Kelly Brady. Kelly is the senior pastor at Glen Ellen Bible Church in Glen Ellen, Illinois. I am the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. And uh, as pastors... Uh, we get the opportunity uh, to walk people through good times and bad times and help them try to process it. And with that in mind, came across a story in Christianity Today, today, I never quite know how to say that, Christianity Today, (laughs) today, and uh, it's basically, it's titled this, Your Plan B is Still God's Plan A. Uh, And this writer... I thought this was birth control at first, (laughs) a contraception discussion. (laughs) That's funny, that's funny. Uh, it's a story of a of a woman and her husband. They plant a church in Texas. The church fails. She talks about how they get um, a diagnosis of autism for one of their sons. Uh, and basically the point is this, that the things we have planned don't always go as we've had planned. And she writes this, very few of us are living our plan A scenario, whether in our professional or our personal lives. Mm. And so, Kel, why don't you talk to me a little bit about this theology of uh, how do we deal with uh, the minor disappointments and the major disappointments when what we think we're doing, we're doing things for God in our minds, uh, and life doesn't go the way that we expected. Uh, how do we process that? Yeah, we process it. Proverbs nineteen twenty one. Many are the plans in a person's heart, and I got lots of plans, yes. but, and then there's this but, but it's the Lord's purposes that prevail. And so the short of it is that uh, we, we have lots of plans. My daughter, uh, my youngest, 17, uh, it looks like had her nose broken last night in a basketball game. No one planned that. That's not what you go to see when you go to a basketball game. Her plan, you know, is to uh, score a lot of points, not get <laughs> hit in the nose. So uh, the notion of a plan B, the reason um, there's a plan B and a plan C and a plan D is because we're finite. Mm. We are not God. We, we do our best 
to uh, to make plans, to order our lives around godliness, to honor him with our lives. Um, but things don't go as planned. Sometimes it's just because we can't, we're finite, we can't see what's coming. Uh, other times it's because we're sinful. We're sinful. Others sin against us, and um, and things go badly. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I like to say um, that if if your worldview doesn't include the possibility of suffering, mm-hmm. then you don't have a biblical worldview. That's that's powerful. You've written three books. Uh, following Jesus and drive through theology and uh, one called wait, what biblical teachings worth repeating. Um, the drive through theology got me thinking about this. Um, a lot of how we answer this question about when life kind of goes off the rails uh, has to do with our theology yeah. and that if we don't have a theology of uh, hard times and suffering, like you just said, then we, then our theology is faulty and that's going to lead to faulty um, presuppositions about God and how yeah. he's going to treat us. And we often call it the prosperity gospel, right? Like yep. it, all's going to go well as long as I have enough faith. And that's, this is where theology really matters. Yeah. You know, I like to tell people illusion always leads to disillusionment. Mm. If you are, if you find yourself disillusioned by how your Christian faith is gone, it means that you have entertained an illusion at some point. You've had a misunderstanding about who God is and what he's up to. Um, so illusion always leads to disillusion. It's like this balloon. We inflate and we say, everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be. And at some point that, that bubble's going to burst. Suffering's a part of the world in which we live in this world. Jesus said, you will have trouble, yep. but take heart. I've overcome the world. We can have hope in a world of suffering, but sufferings, that's our reality. Yep. I know this week at our church and I, we've been talking about explore God, this explore God, Chicago initiative going on at 800 churches in the area. Uh, and this week is that issue of pain and suffering. And we had a uh, we had a discussion group at our church last night. Uh, uh, people can come and they discuss it before we preach on it. And this was a big one. Mm. Like, how do you wrestle with suffering? There was people there. There's a guy there who lost his wife within the last uh, two or three months and really wrestling with how can a good God allow for that? Um, how do you answer that? Because there's a lot in the Bible about biblically you know, how we process suffering and how suffering is even uh, a doorway to knowing God more deeply. Yeah. So classically, uh, this is described as the problem of evil. Yep. And it's uh, it's an important uh, issue that all Christians, you know, our churches should really equip uh, believers to understand this issue and to cope with it. The problem of evil is classically described as summarized as if God's good and all powerful, why do why do bad things happen? Uh, the question is a problem in that many draw the conclusion that God is either good, but can't stop evil because he's not all powerful or he's able to stop evil, but unwilling. And thus he's not good, but neither of these conclusions are biblical as scripture teaches us that God in God's goodness and power, he's already overcome evil. See, that's, that's the beauty of this in the cross of Christ. And in the resurrection of Christ, we see God's solution for the evil we're experiencing. I love Psalm 23, yeah. uh, that you prepare a table before me, the psalmist said, in the presence of my enemies. We all want to be taken out and away from our enemy. We all, all want to be delivered from suffering. But the good news of the gospel is God's joined us in our suffering. Christ came to be with us, gave his life, was raised from the dead. And so the, the certain hope of Christianity is that evil will be overcome, Absolutely. albeit in God's timing. Correct. And 
we only need to look at the early church and, and the other stories in the New Testament and the Old Testament that suffering and uh, and hard times have always been a part of the faith. Uh, Peter, you know, Peter and John, they're arrested. They come out. Uh, they go to the people. They go to the other disciples and the other apostles, and they don't ask that, pray, please pray that God would make everything easier. They pray uh, give us boldness. Mm-hmm. Give us boldness in the midst of this. And the people pray for boldness. And it's one of my favorite things because then in the next paragraph it says, and they went boldly. Um, we're The quicker we realize on this side of eternity we're going to suffer and going to have our times, but God is going to always be present. And Scripture says God is close to the brokenhearted. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we can, we can, we can continue to, um, to walk the faith and, and trust in God that he is good even in the midst of hardship. Yeah, so just a cursory reading of Scripture yields clarity that suffering is a part of the plan God has for his people. Um, and it, and we, it builds perseverance, endurance, strength. It creates hope as we hope in God's goodness and deliverance. But Job, Joseph, Ruth, Naomi, Daniel, all of the disciples were persecuted and then died martyrs. So um, if, if, you're, if you're sitting under the teaching of someone who says, that if you just have enough faith, everything will be great, then I'd be warned. Yes. I'd be warned. That that sounds like spiritual abuse to me uh, because suffering is an integral part of the life of believers uh, by God's design. Absolutely. We see it throughout Scripture. Um, I think that's a great point. If you find yourself in a community of faith in a church that is not acknowledging suffering, uh, then... That's a bad theology. When we accept plan B as a new plan A, we can be assured of God's never-ending presence, provision, and power, even in the midst of the storms. That's good news we want you all to live by. Again, my name is Brian Fromm, along with Kelly Brady. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I am joined today by with Kelly Brady. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook.com backslash The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Find us online at 1160hope.com. Or you can download our podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Uh, we are available there at The Common Good. Uh, would love to have you follow us. Uh, leave uh, reviews, especially good reviews, and uh, we, we that would do well for our soul. So, uh, Kelly, we're, we're grateful that you're here. I do want to—Kelly's uh, given of his time, so I told him, I said, I'm going to try to sell some books here. So uh, Kelly has written three good books that, that you would be good to get. Uh, you can find them at Amazon. One is called Following Jesus, which is about defining discipleship for the 21st century. What's it look like to follow Jesus? Uh, one that I have found very helpful is called Drive Through Theology. Uh, a busy person's guide for understanding the Bible. Uh, and then this is your most recent one, right? Yeah. Yep. Called wait, what biblical teachings worth repeating. Uh, why don't you, before we jump into this next story, why don't you tell us just a thumbnail sketch as to 
what your hope is with these books, why you wrote them, and just you know what people could get from them. Yeah, I really I started the first book I wrote was um, Drive Through Theology. Uh, pastors are often asked questions: What do you think about this? What do, what how, what am I to believe? And so Drive Through Theology is I wrote just it's to help answer common questions pastors are asked. For example, the problem of evil during our last segment. I I that stuff is right in drive through theology. It helps people understand what their hope is in Christ and there's all types of and every every article in the book drive through theology is is under two pages, yeah. two or three pages. So it's quick reads, it's easy and I just I I want to see believers go as you know, as you know, I I like to say from missing layups to making layups, you know, spiritually speaking. Yeah. And so I just trying to help Believers understand scripture. Uh, the following Jesus book is the book we actually give away at our church, helping people understand what our aim is as Christians and, as we follow after Christ and what it means to follow after Jesus. So they're, they're both great, great books. And then Wait What is, is just a, a collection of some of my teachings, my pulpit ministry. So I'd encourage you guys, uh, go to Amazon or wherever you get your books, and uh, you can put in Kelly Brady and you'll find those books. Uh, he's got kids in college, going to college. <laughs> so the more that we can help, the better. So uh, that would be wonderful. Well, Kel, on the Gospel Coalition website, their fascinating article, a story today uh, or the other day, just titled this, The Wise Do Not Always Weigh In. The Wise Do Not Always Weigh In. And mm. it, the premise is basically this, that we live in a world uh, especially with Twitter and Facebook, where everybody weighs in on everything immediately. It's better to be fast than to be right. It's better mm. to be first than to be right. We're seeing some of that play out with this complex story with the boys from Covington Catholic yeah. and the Native American man and the black Muslims. And I said yesterday to Sky when he was here, like, the more that we talk about this, the less I feel like I understand about it. But yet everybody had to weigh in immediately. And that happens with every story out there, whether Twitter is notorious for this, but it could be any of our social media platforms and pastors sometimes in pulpits. Like we've got to comment on everything Mm -hmm. at all times. And so this article is going the other way. It's wisdom to not always weigh in on everything, says the guy with the radio show. (laughs) There's wisdom to not always weigh in on everything. Uh, What are your thoughts about, about this? Yeah, absolutely. If, if, um, when we weigh in on everything, we're basically saying that we have expertise on every matter, which is, it's impossible to have that. There has to be a place and space in, in our lives where we say, hmm, I got no clue. Yes. And at that point, we should have our mouths, you know, we should close our mouths. I, from time to time, teach a class at the College of DuPage. It's a great community college here in the county. And, uh, they, you know, they have 30,000 commuter students, a giant college. And I teach some philosophy classes and uh, religion classes there from time to time. And one of the things I start the semester is explaining not all opinions are equal. Mm. And that's, that's foreign in our, in our culture today. We live in a culture that believes all opinions are equal, and they can't possibly be equal because not all opinions are equally informed. I like to call it the wiki reality. Yeah. Uh, wiki, Wikipedia is a crowdsourced encyclopedia of subjects and it's it's actually highly reliable but in its early days because anybody can go on there and write an article it was you were at risk because you didn't know whether the people writing the articles were experts in their area and so uh, particularly among this next generation the college generation they have grown up in a culture that that believes or encourages them to express every thought and emotion they have because every thought and emotion is considered equally valid that can't possibly be the case Uh, we'll take my daughter with her broken nose 
to a doctor today. Mm. And I hope that doctor, you know, we're paying for expertise. Expertise matters. So the, the scripture is, is really clear. James 1, 9 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And, and that's hard in our culture today, but, but valuable. This article says, I'm not sure there is such a thing as, quote, reactionary wisdom. No wisdom steeps, it marinates. Wisdom surprises you when it arrives, and it rarely hits you right in the face. It can be distilled in 280 characters. Most proverbs are shorter, but they are characters that often take a lot longer to germinate. We must allow them to do so. There's this concept that wisdom rarely happens immediately. Mm -hmm. So I see an article or I see a news story, and I immediately tweet on it, and I'm going to be wise about it. And uh, But yet our culture really feels like it's running the other way, that that my it's really fascinating what you said not all opinions are equal because because we think it's my opinion it matters as much as that guy's opinion our opinions matter but they can't be equal yeah. like if i offer an opinion on engineering gosh i hope no one <laughs> takes my opinion seriously and so there's funny commercial out right now where a tattoo artist looks at the guy's tattooing yes. and says to him, stay in your lane, bro. <laughs> I love that. We need to stay in our lanes, and, and we need to know what our lanes are. We do have expertise to offer, yeah. um, but we need to know what our expertise, our areas of expertise are and, and do our best to stay there. It doesn't mean we can't comment, but we can't offer all opinions as equally valid. I love what uh, the article um, talks about, quotes Thomas Merton, um, and says that uh, the, the constant speaking that's going on in our culture is fueled by loneliness mm. the desire to be heard and, yeah. and i get that we we lots of data is coming out about how lonely our culture is and so apparently the the theory here is by the author of this article and thomas merton a catholic mystic that that we're speaking we're we're offering our voice to fill a void mm. of loneliness and I'll be the first to admit that that's true. In fact, that's really danger, dangerous for pastors yeah. because when pastors are lonely and they get up in the pulpit, they need to be careful that what they're offering is not simply to fill their own void, yes. their, their own sense of a need for value. And so it's dangerous. That's, that's powerful. I do think that loneliness drives in. I also think this need, we all think we need to like change the world and be significant. We all need mm-hmm. the significance and people to affirm, uh, I would challenge all of you out there, maybe maybe for a day or a week, uh, go without commenting on things. See what that does for your soul. See see if it feels weird to not always weigh in with an opinion on everything, but maybe to verbalize, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what's best here. And I'm going to read the last paragraph here. Maybe go for a walk, listen to music, talk with a friend, stare out your window. Strangely, as the Proverbs seem to indicate, once we've done the hard work wisdom requires— we will know how to respond. Well, this is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church, joined today by Kelly Brady, the senior pastor uh, at Glen Ellen Bible Church. Uh, We're coming up. We're going to talk more pastoral stuff, uh, hopefully to encourage your faith. This is The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm joined today by Kelly Brady. I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. And Kelly serves as the senior pastor at Glen Ellen Bible Church in Glen Ellen, Illinois. 
Uh, again, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. And find us online at 1160hope.com. You can also listen to podcasts of old shows. Uh, you might be thinking, did they actually say that? You could go back and listen to that uh, on a, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can download them, follow us, uh, subscribe, leave us a review or a comment. We would love to hear from you. One of our goals is to be as interactive as possible. Uh, and so um, do that there. Well, again, Kel on the Gospel Coalition website, Russell Moore wrote a fascinating story, an article entitled this, A Graveyard is a Good Place to Make Big Decisions. So I saw that. I was like, well, I'm going to click on that one. Uh, that's a good one. And and the overview is basically he had a big decision in his life and found himself driving through a graveyard. All of a sudden he realized he was in a church graveyard. And he speaks here as to how graveyards and the concept of eternity and just what a graveyard does to us really helps us get things into perspective yeah. in this world. Most people have uh, places that they dread going and don't want to be. Hospitals, right? Who really wants to be at a hospital? Nothing good's going on there. Uh, dental offices, for sure. And graveyards. I mean, uh, very few people uh, spend any extra time in graveyards. When you're in a graveyard, uh, by and large, it's it's a sorrow-filled yeah. Difficult experience. But uh, Russell Moore's point, and I think a lot of Russell Moore, I know you do as well, and he's someone I take a lot of cultural cues from. He he helps navigate that. So I really value it. But he's just saying that uh, a graveyard reminds us how finite we are. I, You and I, we both do funerals as pastors. Mm -hmm. I start every funeral the same. I open with the same scripture, Mm -hmm. Ecclesiastes 7-2. Death is the destiny of every man, and the living should take this to heart. But we don't. In fact, Everything in the popular American culture, the modern culture, is fueled towards helping us forget that death is the destiny. I mean, the death rate among people is about 100%. <laughs> so we just need good reminders. Russell Moore is, is saying this is a great way to re- be reminded of our finiteness. Yeah, you and I were talking about this article, and you told me something fascinating. <laughs> a little bit of your background. You said you grew up basically in a graveyard. or by, And I said, you mean by a graveyard? You're like, no. And so... Uh, yeah, my grandmother. So you, you've got some stuff to share uh, deeply about this. So my grandmother and grandfather uh, sold gravestones for a living. You talk about kind of a morose way to make a living. But they really felt a calling to it. And I remember being, as a young kid, I would hang out in, their, in the office. People would come in, and they were filled with sorrow, and they needed to pick out a gravestone for their loved one. And my grandmother and grandfather would care for them, help them pick out a stone. And then we'd often go out to the graveyard uh, for various uh, parts of the sales cycle, selling the gravestone. And so well, I remember being very young, and they would let me drive the car. So around the, you know. Very, like the hearse? No. No, no, no. Oh, but the, their car, their around car. their car. <laughs> I was like getting this. <laughs> All right, I'm back with you. I'm back so with you. So I was six or seven or eight years old, and they let me sit in their lap and steer around the graveyard. So I have good memories, ironically, from uh, the graveyard, as, as odd as that is. And so graveyards for me are not places. Um, they actually have, you know, I have good, I don't dread those spaces. I, and I have gone to a graveyard before to pray. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of what Russell Moore is getting at here is that graveyards can provide the much needed perspective. Here, here's something that was, I found challenging. Most people cannot give the first name of their great, great grandfather. Yes. Which means functionally, you're just four generations, three or four generations, about 100 years from not being remembered. I don't think I could give the name past my grandparents. 
Okay, so yeah. it's and and do we know their vocation? We don't know their first names, right. so we don't know their vocations. We don't know their impact. That's rare now. And I understand that studying family lineage is is a is a nice hobby, and lots of people are involved in it. But truthfully, most of us are about a hundred years away from being forgotten, yep. and we and that is sobering. I love the way Russell Moore closes this article. Your life is worth living precisely because it isn't your life at all. In other words, we mm. could be crushed by the reality that we're going to be forgotten in a hundred years, yes. or we could be freed by it. Mm-hmm. And, and remember that we find our meaning and our hope in our relationship to our creator, uh, in him, by him, for him, are we made Colossians one sixteen, And so a lot of people hate to look at death, hate to look at the finiteness of the reality because it feels crushing to them. But Frankly, therein is our freedom. Our mm. life is worth living precisely because it isn't our life at all. Yeah, there's that powerful poem, uh, what's it called, The Dash, mm. that says, when you look at any gravestone, um, there is a, the, there's, there's a birth date and a death date, and we don't, by and large, we don't control those. Mm. Um, and then there's just a dash between the two, uh, and this poem is powerful. You can look it up. As I said, it's called The Dash. And it basically, but it's basically this, that is what, you're living that is your life and what are you going to do with it like i do i think at first thought this whole concept of death is feels like it's really crushing but i, th- I think you're 100 percent right that it's actually really freeing mm. it says you know what i've got this time here on earth as a gift as a gift what am i going to do with it and the good news is is that uh in Christ, death has been defeated, yeah. sin has been defeated, and so this is not the ultimate. Like, this is the passageway into something more, um, and frankly, having that perspective changes everything. Frankly, if if you're listening to this segment and you're feeling crushed by yes. the finiteness, then then you need to understand the gospel more fully. I love it. Death's been defeated. Yeah. Uh, also, the book of Ecclesiastes also says we were made for eternity, right? Eternity mm. was placed in our hearts, and we... We get that. We feel like there should be something more. And it, the, uh, the graveyard reminds us that there is something more. Um, one of the most striking things you said that you and I both as pastors will get to do funerals. And it's a real privilege, but it's also hard. Like, it's always a weird deal. Um, and uh, I, I just thought of this. You you told me years ago, you and I are wired very differently. Mm-hmm. Remember, you told me uh, you are more wired to do funerals. I'm more wired to do weddings. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> the true. celebration versus you're yeah. good at the hard stuff. And so anyway, uh, what always strikes me as weird is when you're doing a funeral and, and you're by the graveside and it's sad and, but like a school will be like within shouting distance right. and you'll see kids playing. And that, mm-hmm. that kind of dichotomy is always weird to me, but also like, there's something uh, powerful about it. There's always something powerful about that. Yeah. You talk about funeral dichotomies. One of the things that we, In a funeral moment, that moment of mourning and loss that we must remember is that life goes on. And so it's it's like it's it's disruptive for sure. But the fact that we're all at the funeral is a part of the message itself that God is greater than this. Mm -hmm. We don't control our birth. We don't control our death by and large. Um, But God is greater than this. Life goes on. There's hope. The author of life is still in charge. And so it's part of the gospel's good news. It, it makes me think of Paul's words to Timothy when Paul is getting near the end of his life. Uh, and he says, uh, you know, I'm going to do this from memory, but he basically looks back. He's looking back mm. over his lone life and he says, I've run the race. I've, I've kept the faith. 
and if we could all get to the end of our lives, however many years we have, and just say, you know what? I kept the faith. I ran the race that God had for me, whether it was 20 years or 80 years. I ran the race well. Uh, and now there's something good waiting me. Well, even if you can't say I ran the race well, yes. if you can just say I kept running, I, I, you know, I kept the faith. Yep. And and so let's be honest, the, the, some parts of the race are really hard yes. and it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So we need to be honest about we'll run the race some days better than others. Just keep running, yeah. persevere, endure. It's a good word. Friends, the eternal perspective, the graveyard, if you will, frees us to remember what's important Remember the good news of the gospel and remember that eternity awaits. Um, again, if you're struggling, we would love to help you. We're pastors uh, by, at our heart, so feel free to reach out to us. We would love to be able to counsel and to love on you. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about marriage. And Kelly touched earlier about loneliness. How does marriage and loneliness work together? And what is the role of marriage in our lives? That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm. I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois. Usually joined by Ian Simpkins. Ian's the teaching pastor at the Yellow Box Community Christian Church in Naperville. But Ian is out. Uh, Ian and his wife Katie uh, welcome their second child this week. And so Ian is uh, spending time with his family, getting acclimated to having two kids. And so we look forward to having Ian back uh, here whenever he is able to return. Sitting at ENC today is Kelly Brady. Kelly is the senior pastor at Glen Ellen Bible Church in Glen Ellen, Illinois. So, Kelly, earlier you touched on this concept of loneliness, Mm. uh, and I want to read some statistics for you. uh, And we're going to end up talking about loneliness in marriage, but I want to talk about just loneliness first uh, in general. And let me read these statistics. It says, research shows that loneliness is epidemic in our nation. In two recent surveys, 40% of adults reported feeling lonely. That is two times as many as in the 1980s. Among adults over the age of 45, one in three reported feeling chronically lonely. Among the elderly, half say that the television is their main company. Mm -hmm. So there's something going on. It's a painful statistic, and there's something going on in our culture uh, that seems to be growing this feeling of loneliness. Just as you hear that, what do you think is going on? Makes me feel lonely. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I I can't help but think that there'll be listeners out there in their cars and at work um, feeling lonely. And yeah. so I, I'll, I'll admit that uh, I have felt lonely, and it's odd for a pastor to feel lonely because yeah. we're surrounded by a, a church full of people. Mm-hmm. But it's a reality uh, that we need to address. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind is that uh, loneliness can be addressed, that we were created for community. Uh, we were given the church as a gift. We're not supposed to walk this journey of faith alone. Mm-hmm. And um, family, for example, not only the church, but the first institution established by God was the family. The family was established um, as a gift uh, so that we'd not be alone. And I know that uh, many families are not a cure for loneliness, but a cause for loneliness. Mm. And so I get that. But God's design is that we not feel lonely. Yeah. In other words, God would help us to walk out of those woods. He, he's got uh, strategies for that in his word. And so the first thing that comes to mind is I've been lonely. I've been lonely in a crowd. There are a few places mm-hmm. uh, more painful than to be lonely in a crowd. Uh, but God's good. He's given us the family. He's given us the church. 
as our spiritual family, there is remedy. The remedy that I found for loneliness is to tell people I'm feeling lonely. Mm, That's hard. It is hard. It feels risky uh, because you're already lonely. What if you share that you feel lonely and no one responds and no one sits to listen no one shows empathy, so I know it's risky. Yeah, but it is the way out. It's a part of the way out, is to feel uh, is to talk about it. Yeah, uh, this article in Christianity Today asks: It takes loneliness and says, "Are we asking too much of marriage?" So specifically with marriage and loneliness, it says this: We're often quick to associate loneliness and unhappiness with singleness, particularly in Christian circles. We expect marriage to overcome those feelings. We overlook not only the joy in that can be found in singleness, but also the sense of longing. That persists in marriage. And this article goes on to unpack the fact that, you know what, there's a lot of lonely people within marriages. And mm-hmm. in fact, marriage can uh, can make it worse. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, reflect upon that for me, Cal, the, um, the loneliness in marriage. Are we expecting too much of marriage? Um, and uh, what positive role can marriage play in helping us not feel lonely? Well, it's interesting. So much uh, to be addressed there. You know, fewer and fewer people are getting married in America, that uh, the marriage rate's on the decline. Um, So it seems like there's less and less expected of marriage. Mm. Uh, But of those that get married, I do think they see it as a panacea, a cure-all, that this is going to be the fix for for what ails me. And I I think you're right. I think that if we're not careful, if we're not uh, honest about marriage, it's not going to fix uh, what's broken with us personally. In other words, we all know that uh, marriage won't fix bad character. So yeah. if, if I have bad character and I marry someone, um, then the marriage alone is not going to fix my bad character. The same is true with emotional deficits. Mm. If I have a, a sense of loneliness, whether it's situational loneliness or chronic loneliness, uh, just getting married is not going to fix that. It, we may have a honeymoon season where the person with bad character begins to behave better. Right. Um, or the person with an emotional deficit or a, a situational loneliness may, may feel less lonely for a while. There could be a honeymoon. But at some point, we will have to address uh, what is chasing us, what what we're struggling with. And so uh, marriage can accentuate our problems, our struggles, yeah. if we're not if we're not careful. Yeah. How long have you been married? A long time. <laughs> 27 years. 27. I just hit 19 the other day. Yeah. And uh, so we've both been around the block here for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is one word or two things you'd say, having been married for a long time, having gone through lots of ups and downs, because uh, that, that's what marriage is, <laughs> lots of ups and downs. What's one or two words that maybe somebody who's listening is either struggling with loneliness or just struggling with their marriage right now, um, but particularly around this issue of loneliness, what would be... One or two pieces of advice that you'd say, hey, talk to your spouse about this or maybe approach marriage this way. Go get counseling. Mm. That's my word of advice. Yeah. It's fascinating to me. Uh, I've been in individual counseling. Uh, we've done marital counseling. It's fascinating to me. We will hire people to uh, to coach our children one-on-one. Yep. We'll hire people to tutor our children. We'll get them private lessons. We'll hire people to help us decorate our homes because we don't know how to decorate our homes. We'll hire people to do our landscaping. We'll hire people to do our taxes. But the most crucial relationship we have, we won't go get help for. Yeah. And, and that's, that's insanity. Yep. That's, the, that's insanity. This summer over sabbatical, uh, our elders at our church were uh, wise enough and kind enough uh, to say, hey, we're going to 
budget for you and Carrie to go get counseling, not because we weren't doing well, but for the very reason so that we would keep doing well. That's great. And uh, it was, it's amazing, like you said, what a counselor can unearth. And that you never talk about right. and that you didn't know you even needed to talk about. Well, it's it's like not a- like we were hiding stuff, but uh, we went, you've been to him too. We went to Dr. Doug DeMerchant in Wheaton and he, we would start talking. And all of a sudden we realized we were talking about some deep things that we weren't avoiding on purpose, but realized we never really talked about and yeah. probably should have. It was fascinating. Well, again, um, a lot of people avoid counseling because it's it's money yep. and, and it ain't cheap yep. and because it requires energy. And, and many of us, we're just exhausted. I get that. But there is not a better relationship to invest in than in marriage. So, man, yep. get counseling and... Um, and I, I, as a pastor, I meet with a lot of couples. I don't do long-term counseling because I stay in my lane. Stay in your lane. And that, that's not my lane. But I do a lot of crisis counseling, and I can help couples. And I know that you know how to do this. But we can help couples assess yeah. what their next step is. Some couples need mentoring. They just Some couples just need community. They need a small group. But But I would say all couples at some point need counseling. They need uh, professional expertise either to clear the way or um, to strengthen, you know, weak, weak points. So yeah. I would think a word for couples out there that are struggling is, is do some of the hard work of assessment and have other people help you assess. But a lot of times we just get caught in these ruts where we're like, well, this is how life is 20, you know, you go, it won't get any better. We tell ourselves. Yeah. So I'm just going to live like this and we're going to just be roommates. And then you get lonely. I'm living with this person. I don't even know them and yeah. do what you got to do to get out of the rut and I think Kelly brings a good word. Like a lot of times as Christians, we think counseling is like something for some reason bad. It's not. Or or that you have your hair has to be on fire before yes. you go. Yes. I love it that you went. Let's say you had a B plus marriage yes. and you want an A minus. You want to move to the next level. You, your hair doesn't have to be on fire to go get help. Good point. Good point. Good point. Well, again, we want marriages to do well. And uh, we want our marriages to do well. We want your marriage to do well. So marriage can be hard work. Do the hard work. Get the coaching get what you need. Well, coming up next, we're going to land the plane. We're going to end with some of our fun stuff that we like to talk about. Uh, It's been a lot of good stuff today. A lot of some heavy, just some pastoral, uh, but we want to end with a little bit of levity. So come on back when we, uh, when we land this plane on the common good on AM 1160, hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I am joined today by Kelly Brady. Uh, Josh, our producer, likes to likes to pick some crazy, just silly music because on this last segment of the show, we like to just talk about crazy, weird things we found on the Internet and uh, like to give you some laughs as you're driving home on this cold Friday. Hopefully you've got some indoor activities planned for the weekend and uh yeah, we, we want to just give you some levity. So hopefully it's been a good week for you. Kelly, why don't you start? Give us something crazy you found. Company selling boxes of used tissue for $80. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Los Angeles Startup is offering to let people choose their own illness by buying a box of used tissue for 80 bucks. <laughs> it's so I, gross. Do you think they'll actually sell them? Yes. You mean, in other words, people will buy that? Yes, because we have control issues <laughs> that we want to get all the way to the point of controlling I'll our I'll take illnesses. a box of chicken pox, please. That is crazy. I like that this person said this is potentially hazardous if it does work, and I don't think it does. Do you think it? Oh, my gosh. That is, uh, that is crazy. Uh, this one's close to my heart. Arizona, man 
helped save women with CPR. He learned from TV's The Office. You love The Office? I love The Office. I know that episode. Maybe my favorite. Well, the funny thing about that episode is Michael Scott does it all wrong, and then Dwight Schrute cuts the face off of the uh, mannequin. But apparently this person learned it. It's uh, Staying uh, alive. Staying alive. Yes, yes. One of the great ironies is the guy who did it. The guy who did it, his last name is Scott. Nothing in Cross Scott's life prepared him for finding a woman slumped over her steering wheel. And he broke into training and he said he learned the CPR and the, on the office. You see, parents, this is why we let our kids watch the office. <laughs> I've, I have this theory that everything in life, everything, just about everything in life can be related to either the office or an episode of Seinfeld. One of the two. Arkansas deer hunter, see if you can relate one of these. Yes. Arkansas deer hunter charged in fatal shooting of woman he thought was a deer. Oh, no. Dale Williams was charged Tuesday in Johnson County, Arkansas. A 72-year-old, he shot Jane Rust. Oh, that's really hard. <laughs> you went dark on this I one. Should, I should have read the whole article. That's hard. It says he saw a flash of a deer run across the road, and it wasn't a deer. Well... Thanks for thanks for. Could you lift us up us a little bit? Friday. Come on, <laughs> cue the weird music. There we go. No, Florida. Everything happened. If there's one thing we've learned on these segments, is that everything either happens in Florida or England. And so I'm in, I'm right here to Florida. Uh, here we go. This one's kind of it's kind of funny unless it unless it affects you. <laughs> College backpedals after accidentally sending over 400 acceptance letters. A Florida college is apologizing after sending out 430 acceptance letters to students who were actually not accepted to the school. The University of South Florida in St. Petersburg sent the prospective students an email saying they'd been admitted for the fall semester only to rescind the acceptance in an email a short time later saying it was caused by human error and that it will never happen again. I got to be honest, let the kids into the school. I guess there's not places to put them. I guess that is painful. That's horrible. I'll give you painful school dress code for parents. Question mark. Tennessee bill could restrict adult clothing on campuses. So a Memphis lawmaker is working on a law that could require school districts to establish codes of conduct for parents when they come to a high school or a junior high. Quote, I was talking to my principal when I got the real story, says Antonio Parkinson, a Democratic state representative. There are parents who are showing up at schools with lingerie on. Oh, oh, Tennessee, what are you doing to us here? I, I've never seen it to that level, but sometimes I'm at my kid's school and I'm like, seriously? Like, so I'm, I'm, I'm for this. I'm for this. Uh, you have one more? You got another one? Trashing a speeding ticket doesn't make it go away. Apparently, a, a Manitoba Royal Canadian Mounted Police issued a ticket only to watch the driver he had just given it to crumple it up and throw it out the window. <laughs> he then pulled her over again, giving her an additional $174 littering ticket. <laughs> and she just kept doing it. That'd be funny. He says, in 17 years of policing, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Oh, that's funny. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid the Florida story that's headlined, Woman Dance Naked Outside Waffle House Licked Employees' Faces. <laughs> so I'm going to avoid that one. You didn't hear that one from me. I have a story. See, I feel like I'd be remiss. To, so I'm very thankful, Kel, for you doing two days of this. And uh, we'll have you again every time. So you're going to close by embarrassing me. I am. So as you all know, Kelly used to be my boss. He was. Uh, I was on staff at Glen Ellen Bible Church. 
And I started in youth ministry, and Kelly was the youth pastor before I was, so he, it was his job to kind of show me the ropes. We went on a mission trip to Mexico together. You know where I'm going with this? We went on a mission trip to Mexico together my very first summer. My parents had bought me luggage. You know, that's what you get at graduation. <laughs> My parents had bought me luggage, and I took it on this mission trip to Mexico. I don't know. There's 20, 25 high school kids. I went. Kelly went. A couple other leaders were as Mexico. There were 40. Okay, sure. We all were pastors. We inflate the numbers. This is a part of my excuse making. <laughs> so uh, it's one of our last days there, and I come out. All the luggage is being loaded on the bus to go to the airport. And I go out and I find my luggage and it is smashed up. And I'm like, like, what happened? Like these people who are here, somebody smashed my luggage. So I went up, I found you. I found Kelly and I said, Kel, somebody smashed my luggage. I said, I, I don't know why I was, what I was asking of you. I'm like, somebody's got to do something. Someone just r- ran over. Just It's a justice issue, Brian, isn't it? I go, somebody. Speaking of counseling, and, you still need counseling over I, this, don't you? I look up and the bus, like, it's clear what happened. <laughs> The school bus ran over my luggage. And so I, I think I'm going to have you on my side and say, hey, somebody ran over my luggage. Like, what are we going to do about this? And you said, oh, was that your luggage I ran over? <laughs> <laughs> so apparently Kelly had gotten behind the, the, those, the wheel those buses of a are, bus. They're longer than you think. And now after I've known you, I think you were targeting my luggage. I think that that might have been <laughs> jealous of that your gifted luggage. What's going on? So. Kel, I'm really thankful for you, for Great you, Phil. Really, really thankful. In our last uh, minute or two, what's one thing we learned today? Something that stands out that we talked about. We covered a lot of bases: pastoral, current events, lots of things, marriage, kids. Uh, what's kind of one takeaway for people who are sitting in their cars right now, going home for the weekend? Wow, you know, loneliness sticks out to me. Yeah. I, I think it's epidemic proportions. Um, it's um, and it's really a part of the, the gospel's inclusion, you know, the metaphor used for the gospel's adoption. So I think it, I'm just reminded today as we close that loneliness is, is a real issue. Yeah. Uh, we're separated from God and from one another. It shouldn't be surprising to us that we're lonely. We're separated from God and one another by our sinfulness. And, and the good news of the gospel is that, that uh, Christ has overcome our sinfulness and, and we can be adopted we can be brought into the family. We can be included. And so I, I, as much as I heard about loneliness and the realities of it, I'm really thankful for the gospel and God's goodness. And look forward to preaching this weekend. Mm-hmm. I know you do, too. I look forward to proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And, so. and, and I'm, I'm reminded of one of those last articles we did about the eternal perspective and what we could learn just by being reminded that, mm-hmm. like you said, the death rate's 100%. Yeah. Uh, what are we going to do with our lives? How are we going to live them for the glory of God? I got, you know, one other thing that sticks out to me as we talk about harvest. Harvest is a convenient whipping boy right now, yep. but there is not a perfect church nope. or perfect leaders. Thank God for Christ. Yep. And so we'd encourage you go to church, be part of the mess, uh, get into a community, do that this weekend. Well, Kelly, I'm really thankful for you. Go to Amazon and you can find a couple books that Kelly has written. Go ahead and buy them. You'll be blessed for doing it. Uh, Again, my name is Brian Fromm. I'm joined today by Kelly Brady. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.